Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, shalom, shalom, everybody. Hey, and welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amar, pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries in DeRitter, Louisiana, and coming to you all the way from the ankle of the boot in southwest Louisiana. And it is super great to be back with you guys all this week. I am excited to continue our discussion from last week. And uh, before we get into that, though, just let me say uh, welcome to everybody who's joining us for the first time. I know that uh, I am so grateful for Hebrew Nation uh, and uh, all the, the the hosting that they do and the the teaching that they promote. Um, this is an incredible resource, and uh, we have access to a great number of really gifted teachers. And I, I I encourage you to share Hebrew Nation with your friends and make sure that you know those that are either newer to the Torah walk or those that are interested or even you know those people that have been walking this walk for a long time, uh, just to share Hebrew Nation's ministry and their website and their archives and everything. And uh, it's, it's, we, are, we are spoiled for information, and I am super glad that I get to be a part of it and uh, talk to this wonderful community. So if you're new, stopping by for the first time, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, this is part two of a conversation we started last week, so go back in the archive and check last week if you're interested. Uh, and we have folks that listen every single week, or just about every week, and that blows my mind. That is amazing. Uh, if you, you know, I say every week at the beginning, you know, from Southwest Louisiana and, and all that, and <clears throat> some of you, uh, many of you may not even know where DeRitter, Louisiana is, but if you look for it on a map, you'll realize that it's a itty bitty tiny place. And more technically, um, we're actually coming to you every week from a little, even smaller town just north of DeRitter, uh, which DeRitter is like 10,000 people in the, in the city limits. Um, we're actually coming from a town called Rose Pine, which is about, I don't know, 2,500 maybe people. And so I just say like, from my perspective, that scale and that, per- that perspective is unbelievable to me, uh, that, you know, someone in a, in a little town like that in the middle of kind of nowhere, uh, you know, Southern United States, Louisiana, and, uh, you know, and, and is talking to people all over the, all over the planet. And that's insane. And, uh, and I appreciate it so very much from the bottom of my heart. We, we have a wonderful community and I appreciate all the comments and emails and, you know, all the, the feedback is so, so, so good. So I appreciate you guys very, very much. Um, I do want to also, uh, you know, remind everyone that yes, I am the pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries. We're a Yeshua centered, uh, Torah pursuant congregation and, uh, here in, in, uh, the piney woods of Southwest Louisiana. And many of you do join us already for our Shabbat fellowship services at 10 a.m. Central. 
uh, every Shabbat. And I just want to, again, say thank you guys for being an awesome community and for engaging. We, uh, we live stream to our website at outofashesministries.org. Also, we simulcast to Facebook where you can get involved in the comment section. And then we also simulcast to YouTube. And uh, all of our videos are then archived on our website with a link to YouTube, audio and video, et cetera, et cetera, mobile app, blah, 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 all the stuff. So, um, you know, and then they those uh, services get, uh, when they get added to our website, then they go to iTunes and, you know, everywhere, all the, all the places. So if you are... Uh, looking for a fellowship or you have a fellowship but maybe you meet at a different time and you're looking for some place to hang out on Shabbat, we, I just invite you to come hang out with us. Jump in the comments. Tell us where you're watching from and uh, we'd love to you know, we'd love to have you and uh, love to get to meet you. So, uh, as I said, this week we are continuing on from our discussion last week uh, from Parsha and Haftarah Mishpatim and uh, I want to finish up this week even though I know we, we're a Parsha behind, a week behind in the Parshiot and probably next week we're going to be talking about Teruma, which is last week's Parsha. We're two weeks behind. Anyway, I, I, I love these Parshiot, and uh, and so I, I want to cover them, and I want to talk about them, and I want to nerd out about them. And so um, that's what we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, um, Hashem willing. So before we jump in, let's do as we always do, and let's just spend just a little couple of moments, and let's bless the Father. Avinu Malkinu, Avinu, our Father and our King, Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father that is in heavens. We bless you and we thank you for this privilege to speak to brothers and sisters of all different backgrounds, creeds, all over the place. We pray your name be glorified today. So as we said last week, we began with uh, Haftarah Mishpatim, uh, and Mishpatim Truma are two of my top five uh, Parshiot throughout every year. They're the ones I look forward to the most, the ones I love talking about, I'm super passionate about them, things in them, and uh, they're just so full of goodness um, for me, for my life personally. And um, if you joined us this last Shabbat, um, we talked about uh, Parshat uh, Truma, and I talked about something that I think is kind of important and something I want to really be aware of and, and maybe, you know, just speak about a little bit, even though it doesn't have a whole lot to do with this particular um, episode, just, just something I, I've been thinking about and I want to uh, I want to get out there. And so, you know, for me personally, uh, I know my journey. Right, I know the steps that Hashem has taken me through to get here. Uh, I know that here is not the end, but there will be a new season. There will be another level of growth. There will be another, uh, you know, there will be another round of shuva. Of course, there will be. You know, I, I understand that this is not the end. This is a step in the process um, of refinement and restoration and salvation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but at this season in my life, the last several years. I have been just absolutely consumed with the temple. And part of that, I believe, is a great part of that is meeting and becoming 
uh, close friends and uh, and you know a student of uh, Joseph Good, uh, you know becoming friends with Rico Cortez and just diving into this ancient world. And for me, I see the tabernacle, temple, sacred space, however you want to put it, um, on every page of scripture nearly. And, you know, and then, and then I started talking with Dina Dye and, and she started to illuminate different, you know, aspects and things that I had never even considered before. And just, um, it's, there's a meme that goes around on Facebook every once in a while where it's like the, the, the x-ray of a person's head, you know, and it's like a little lights in the brain for this. And then the next phase, it's a little more light. The next phase it's a little more. And then all of a sudden it's like complete illumination. And that's the journey that I feel like I'm on with the temple. So, um, but I want to be very careful to under, to, to realize and to keep in front of me that not everybody gets that and not everybody cares <laughs> as much as I do, um, or that as Joe does. And I don't care as much as Joe does. Right. So I mean, like there's levels to this and, and I want to be self-aware. I think that's really important because we need to be self-aware for each other in our relationships with each other. Um, and I want to model that and I want to, I want to understand myself and the people that are around me that I'm, that I'm, you know, ministering to and that I'm in a, in the family with, um, you know, the, the thing that God is dealing with you about now, or maybe the, the thing that he used to bring you into Torah, um, it may be, you know, for some, it may be Shabbat and like, that's, you know, you say things like it's all about Shabbat, right? The whole story, the whole Bible is about Shabbat. And in a lot of ways it is, um, or, you know, you may say it's all about X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever God is dealing with you about right now. For me, it's all, the story's all about the temple. It all revolves around the temple. And I, I want to be cognizant of that. And I want to, you know, I, I want to just throw that out that, you know, for, for you, it may be all about that. And if you're talking passionately about your thing, God's thing that he's doing in you and you're talking to somebody about it and they just have that kind of glazed look. Um, it's not be, you know, resist the urge to think that, well, you know, they're just, they're not where I am spiritually or, you know, on the level, like in a, in an arrogant way or, you know, resist the, the temptation to be like, well, you know, they're not as holy as I am, or, you know, you'll get there, you know, you're not like all those because Hashem thankfully works on us in different ways at different times. And if he did it all at the same time, we'd be dangerous. And so um, I just want to, you know, make this statement, and I'll probably say it again next week when we talk about Truma, uh, but I just want to make sure that, like, the these partio that we're covering, they're, they're super important to me. Uh, and I realize that not everybody, you know, cares as much, but I think this is how we grow, right? We listen to people that are passionate about something that we've never considered or, or haven't fully considered, and it in in their you know their lives are in, are wrapped up in it, and uh, and and so we gain some different perspectives and different things to think about. So, just just a little you know aside or so a little disclaimer um, as for my uh, excitement about these these few partiot. Uh So. Uh, last week, we stopped kind of in the middle of an article that I was reading that I thought was fascinating uh, from actually from Chabad.org. It's called The Six-Year Bondsman, and it is written by uh, Rabbi uh, Lazer Gurkow, and he is the uh, leader of Congregation Bet Tefillah in London, Ontario. 
And uh, I just think it's a fascinating article. So if you weren't with us last week, I won't read through the the whole thing again, but uh, we are talking about Shabbat and the kind of key statement, I think, from the beginning of the article is that uh, Shabbat is, uh, is last in creation, but first in thought, right? So it is... It's last in action or, or in, in, in revealing, but it's first in thought. And I think that's really important. Um, of course, many of us maybe probably think about Shabbat and, uh, you know, in terms of our upbringing as kind of like, well, it's just God was tired, so he rested. But the idea is that just like a good author, when he writes a book, has the end of the story in mind when he begins writing the beginning, usually – Sometimes not the case, but usually, and all of the story is is working up to that climax, right? And so this this idea that that the Shabbat is thought about this way, I think, is really important. And what does this have to have to do with Parsha Mishpatim? Well, the first uh, mitzvah in Parsha Mishpatim has to do with Eved uh, Ivri, uh, the the Hebrew slave. And so we looked at um, from uh, Rambam. We looked from uh, we looked at the thirteen laws governing Hebrew slavery. And as we went through them, I asked the question: Like, does this sound like slavery at all? And it absolutely does not. Uh, things like you know, you don't treat them oppressively. You don't buy and sell. You don't buy slaves in the manner of of that slaves are normally done. Um, which it, the Israelites were supposed to take care of their Jewish brothers and sisters in a humanizing and honoring way, not in a dehumanizing and shameful way. Uh, not to be, you know, this is a court process. This is not just a, you know, vigilante justice kind of thing. Uh, that you're, they're supposed to, when they work for you, they're not supposed to do anything that your own family wouldn't do. Uh, nothing oppressive. They're not like sleeping out in the barn, right? In the cold, in the cold of the night. Um, they're to be given the same food and the same amenities as your family. Your very own children are given. Uh, when they leave, they're to leave with a severance uh, and an investment in their future. And just these incredible uh, safeguards and things that were that is is Hashem's heart for you know slavery, quote unquote. But we talked about our our ability to to read the Bible well and to read the Bible maybe better than we do, and a lot of reading the Bible better is understanding what type of literature we're reading, but also understanding that you can't quite always get every detail from the Scripture itself. Being like ultra sola scriptura can lead you to not see the full picture sometimes, and then to thereby. Uh, have a a little bit of a warped view of what scriptures is saying and thereby what God is endorsing. So uh, this this article is having to do with the six-year bondsman um, because the seventh year they go free. And so what's so important about the seventh year? And so this author, uh, Rabbi Gurkow, brings this back to creation, which I think is in our minds where it should go, seven, the seventh year, the Shemitah, goes back to Shabbat in the... Uh, uh, the creation account, right? And so we were reading about thievery and slavery. Now we said last week, just as a, a refresher, uh, that you know who who are these Hebrew slaves? Who is a candidate for being sold into slavery? And the all of the rabbinic writings that I can find 
uh, on this, and that's Sefer uh, Chachinuch, which is the Sefer uh, Hamitzvot. Uh, the 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 it's a ten volume set from Art Scroll, which is an amazing it's an amazing resource. Um, if you can spare the you know $150 or whatever it is now, I'm not even sure how much it costs now. Um, but it's a 10-volume set that goes through all 613 commandments as they're uh, counted and numbered uh, by you know by rabbinic Judaism, and it explains in in like mind-bending detail all of the different mitzvot, um, all of these writings that I've I've looked at. Thievery is the the is what makes someone a candidate for slavery. So it's not just anything you know out there under the sun. Uh, other sins in the community, other transgressions of the covenant and community are covered by different circumstances. Some is the death penalty. Some is just you know is 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 uh, exile. It, it, there's there's different um, you know consequences and different levels of things for different offenses. And yet thievery is where we get the slavery. Now, we're not told that specifically and explicitly in the Torah. That's why I talk about reading the Bible better and how only reading the, the Torah, just solo scriptura style, can sometimes not give you the full picture. Um, because these, these commandments came from Hashem and then they, had, they hit the earth, they hit humans, humans, humanity, and then they had to be lived out. And uh, just like we do in our everyday lives, you have to figure out what processes you're going to use in order to interpret and then to live out and actuate the commandments. So we, we talked about, slay, uh, about the thievery um, being the trigger for slavery. And so if, if someone steals something and cannot repay, uh, because that's the commandment, right? If you steal something, you repay it. Plus, if, if the thief cannot repay it, then he is taken through a court process. There's witnesses brought, et cetera, et cetera. It's a you know it's a drawn out thing, of course. Uh, defense attorneys, blah blah blah. And then if he's found guilty, then he then there is a private uh, there's a private uh, transaction that happens where he is put with a master who will pay for not for them necessarily, but they will pay for his servant. Uh, for for him becoming a servant, and those funds will actually go to restore what the thief stole that he could not afford to repay. So, it, it's we can say is you know is is God is the Bible endorsing buying a person? Well, I mean you could look at it like that. In actuality, I tend to see it more as the the master is actually paying the thief's debt, and then the thief is is indentured to him for six years instead of, again, we read the scripture with our lens and with our baggage. And as Americans, let's just face it, we have some baggage in the, in the slavery department, right? And so, but we can't see this as that. And that's the whole point of these two episodes on Mishpatim, this two hour discussion almost on Mishpatim is to help us understand that that as much as I want you to understand about what the historical quote unquote slavery uh, was all about, Eved uh, Ivrit, the Hebrew slave, what I want you to understand as well and as much is how our own reading of the text and our lens and our background affects how we read the text. So that's that's super duper important. So we are talking about thievery in this article and. Uh, we, I'll go ahead and just start at the, the beginning of this and pick up where we kind of where we left off from uh, from last week. He says, 
freedom from slavery uh, would now depend on the individual behavior. So we were talking about how uh, at Sinai, God rescued them from slavery in Egypt and said that they would, you know, they would be his. And then soon after that, we had the issue of the golden calf where there was atonement for that and there was forgiveness for that. Um, the, 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 the truth is that they would not be protected from slavery ever again uh, in the same way. And so he picks up to say freedom from slavery would now depend on individual behavior. And I think that's an important statement that I kind of ran across last last week. And I think it's important to consider that statement because there are certainly, uh, and depending on what religious tradition you come from, uh, you know, this can be viewed different ways, of course. But in certain traditions that I've been a part of, uh, certain circles in my ministry life, uh, there is this sense that the you know the devil the devil is around every corner. Uh, there's a you know there's a devil behind every bush, and the old adage you know the devil made me do it is a is a real thing to to some some people some Christians, and so, the, so I think this statement is you know while there are absolutely things that happen in life that are beyond our control. My God, I mean, you know, every one of us has a testimony of of a way that that life just all of us we were doing great. We were we were you know everything was fine. We were making it. We were good, and then all of a sudden life just sideswiped us, and that absolutely happens. And so I'm not. I don't want to take away from that. However, a lot of what we deal with in our lives, we kind of have to take inventory, admit that. It's not the devil, and it's not a demon, and it's not a spirit, and it's not a this or a that. It's uh, the result of our own decisions, right? Um, there, you know, there's a, a, a another like a Facebook meme thing that goes on, and you know, it's kind of like we live our life through Facebook memes, right? Our lives, uh, but which is a sad statement on on human condition. But um, you know, this thing that goes around that you know sometimes you know it's not the devil. Sometimes you know you you make stupid decisions or you know something like that. And so, freedom from slavery in our lives uh, doesn't it depend on on our individual behavior, on our personal decisions? Even when life does sideswipe us, we have the decision to we have the, the opportunity to decide whether or not we are going to be a slave to that 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 instance to that thing you know to that occurrence and we have to decide whether we're going to live out of it uh, live ourselves walk ourselves out of it or we're going to live in it and i know that you know you may be a person who's done this you may know people you may be thinking about them right now their you know faces are coming into your mind uh that you know Maybe life happened to them and they just never recovered. And, uh, and some things admittedly are, are, you know, take years, decades to recover from. I know that all too well. But we have that choice to make that movement forward. He goes on to say, those who sinned could be sold into slavery. When a Jew was convicted of theft and could not afford to reimburse his victims, the court would generate the necessary funds by selling the convicted thief into servitude. Right? That's what we, we just talked about. He says, the act of thievery is a statement against the first commandment. The words, I am God, your Lord, who has redeemed you from Egypt, indicate that God is cognizant of and intervenes in worldly affairs. A thief who prowls in the night and takes pains to ensure that no man is looking blatantly ignores God's presence and God's awareness of his actions. So, of course, 
you well, I say of course, you may know, but you may not know, uh, that Christianity and Judaism differ on how we number the commandments. And also the Catholic Church does as well. There's there's kind of like three main schools of thought as far as numbering the Ten Commandments. Um, and Judaism starts with, uh, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That's the first, well, let me say, it's a nomenclature thing because we say the Ten Commandments and that uh, that elicits this this call to action. And in Hebrew, the Ten Commandments are more like the Ten Words, the Ten Sayings, or the Ten Matters. The Ten Matters is the one I like the most, um, because if we don't have the Lord our God who brought us out of Egypt as the first matter, then nothing else matters after that, right? And so um, that is the first of the Ten Matters. If we don't have that straight, then, you know, don't go past go, don't collect $200. Don't, just don't keep reading. Um, but it is the first and most important matter. And so the thievery is a statement against that. So we're going to come back right after the break. We're going to continue with this uh, article. Don't go away. We'll be right back. So welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So continue to read in our article, uh, and I'll, I'll try to not take any more rabbit trails. Uh, it's just it's so much to talk about. Um, he goes on to say, This repudiation of the divine master makes the thief vulnerable to the subjugation of mortal masters. This is why the Jewish thief may be sold into servitude. Again, another profound statement. That if we're not going to be uh, subservient to Hashem and respectful of his boundaries and honor his position of authority in our lives, then he will allow us to be subject to a human master. Wow. Um, that's a mouthful. He goes on to say, however, this servitude can only last for six years. The seventh year is a Shabbat of sorts. It represents a collective return to an awareness of God as our creator and an acceptance of God as our master. At this point, even the thief returns to the initial point of being, to the seminal point of existence, to the epicenter of religious experience. When the sun sets on the sixth year and the thief closes a chapter of sin, it comes then as no surprise that the sun rises the next morning over a year that provokes automatic emancipation. And I think that's just, ah, it's so good. The, the, the beginning of the article, again, with the idea that, you know, Shabbat, the last in creation, the first in thought, this idea that, that Shabbat being that, that place that we, that we have every week where we, where we shed the carnal, where we, where we shed the, the tangible, the human side of ourselves and we we revert as much as we can back to that back to that ethereal spiritual um you know connection to Hashem. Shabbat 
the you know the word Shabbat. If you ask someone what what Shabbat means, they'll probably say something like rest. When the word to Shabbat actually means to cease, um, and so we we cease, and that of course you know correlates to rest. But it's the the art of ceasing that's so important, and we have this this idea that what what are we ceasing from? What is the what is the thief ceasing from in in his in his seventh year? Well, there's a an interesting way that I used to teach this, and actually this year I was corrected after reading some commentary, and I had to think about this a little different way. So when we read about the the seventh year, the Shemitah, right, the the Shabbat year after uh, the 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 servant, the bond servant, the slave has served his six years. Um, we, we read verse, you know, verse five of, uh, Exodus 25, it says, I'm sorry, 21, uh, it says that, you know, if the bondsman shall say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I shall not go free. Then his master shall bring him to the court and they shall bring him to the door of the doorpost and, or, or to the doorpost and his master shall bore through his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. And the way that I, I always thought about this was this idea that you have a thief, right? And you have someone who is indebted. And and by the way, I said the the only way to be sold as a as a as a slave was to be a thief. That was not accurate. The other way is that uh, you could sell yourself free will because of of indebtedness, right? Um, and that does not, that's not criminal necessarily. That's just indebtedness. You know, you're lost crops for two years. You had to, you know, you had to go into debt, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And you just couldn't pay it back. Then you could voluntarily sell yourself to a master. And my idea of this, of this was always, you know, like this is, this is scriptural evangelism. Like we, you know, again, depending on what background you come from, you may have, you know, varying views of what evangelism is. And, you know, albeit in the Torah community, we don't do evangelism or we don't do it well as on a whole, as I've seen it. Um, you know, the journey usually goes something like, well, I'm new to Torah. I just found out that, uh, you know, that that uh, the Saturday is the Sabbath and that the Bible never really changes. Well, not never really, it just doesn't change the Shabbat from Saturday that the Jewish people have always kept to Sunday. And I found out that we're not supposed to eat pork and shrimp and crawfish, scrimps and crawfish um, from in South Louisiana, and which is like, that's like our three food groups. And so, uh, you know, so the, the, the first quote unquote step in evangelism or the first step in quote unquote evangelism, get my quotes in the right place is is usually one of fervor and zeal and no wisdom and <laughs> no wisdom whatsoever. I tell this little, you know, anecdote all the time, but it's just one that sticks in my mind that I remember early in my Torah journey, I remember talking to someone. I just started to teach, you know, start to teach about things I was learning in the Torah as a minister in a in a Sunday church. And I remember getting to to talk to someone, a, a guy who um, was so excited that he he had gone. His grandmother, uh, who was like in her eighties or whatever, had called him over to visit. You know, one day the week prior, 
and uh, I think he had mowed her lawn or something like that, helped around the house. And, you know, she wanted to visit with him, a grandson, you know, and, and Mama loves her, her grandbabies. Uh, Mama, by the way, that must be a Southern thing, I think, or, or a Louisiana thing, Mama, uh, Mama and Papa. Uh, but, uh, you know, she wanted, and so she fixed him like a glass of lemonade and a ham sandwich. Uh, you know, just a little something to say thanks. And, you know, in, in Cajun culture, we, we visit over food. We do everything over food, right? Which is actually really biblical. Anyway, that's a, that's a different, uh, that's a different episode coming up, hopefully. Um, but he proceeded when he found out it was a ham sandwich to, uh, eviscerate his grandmother who, uh, had been a faithful, uh, you know, stalwart in her local church community for, you know, for decades had had raised him in church, you know, and, and et cetera, et cetera, and, and had seen that he had a biblical upbringing and all this stuff. And he just went to town on her uh, about how, you know, pork was unclean and, you know, blah, 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 and gave her, gave her all the verses and, and all this kind of stuff and just went uh, full metal belligerent, you know, on her and brought her to tears and he was so excited that, you know, he that he had he could stand up, you know, and, and spread the truth and speak the truth. And and I, that happened. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I, I heard that, you know, heard him tell me that story maybe 12, 13 years ago, something like that. And to this day, I remember just thinking, that's not right. That, you know, that. That's not right. In all of our in all of our excitement for truth and all of our you know our our passion for finding the Torah and you know many of us coming out of our spiritual slumber that we've been in for years and that 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 resurgence of passion and of of you know love for the things of God that we thought we lost for all of that the way that we have treated family members and friends and members of our church communities, our past church communities, our, our leaders and our former pastors and some of those things, you know, under the, under the guise of, and under the, you know, intention, albeit misdirected of evangelism or spreading truth. Um, we, we've messed up a lot. I mean, we've, we've made some really, really grave errors, <clears throat> excuse me, in how we evangelize. So that's usually kind of step one. And many of you can relate, um, you know, many of you have been there and maybe not to that extreme, but, you know, and then we, we start going, hopefully, well, hopefully, and I'll say this, some people never leave that phase. And I think for me, that is one of the biggest heartaches and, and grievances that I have is that some people never leave that, that space where they're, they come off as just angry and and arrogant and judgmental um and you know again kind of what i said at the beginning just because god's doing torah in our lives doesn't mean that everybody else is going to get it and and nor should they Here, here's the the fact of the matter and i've said this many times before you've probably heard me say it on here if you've listened for any amount of time that when when god opened my eyes to torah I was, you know, I was a youth pastor at the largest church in our town. And while our town's not that big, the church is like 1,500, 1,700 members, which in a South Louisiana town, that, that's a mega church, folks. I mean, you know, if you're in Dallas or, you know, New York or California, maybe like that's, you know, 
that's a little that's a puddle jumper. But in 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 our area, that's massive. Two services on Sundays, holy smokes! And um, you know, eighty person choir, and I mean, it's just, you know, it was huge. And so, I I was you know I was tenured minister there, and you know, working my way up through the ranks and stuff, and I was just dead on the inside. And I sat next to people during the sermons and during the services that genuinely cared about the service. And I didn't. I'll just be honest. I didn't at that point. I was fed up. I was done. I was sick. I was burnt out. I was whatever. I, I, I just didn't care. I wasn't praying. I wasn't studying. I was just existing. I was drawing a paycheck. And and that's hard for me to admit, but that's the facts on the ground. I mean, that's the way that it was. That was a disservice to the church. It was a disservice to the kingdom and to God especially. It was a disservice to the pastor. I mean, it was just wrong all the way around, but that's where I was. And I sat beside people that were genuinely pushing into serve, to seeking God and finding God. And I, I disdained their worship. I disdained their prayers. I was just bitter and, and hateful and just dark and dead on the inside. But those people were seeking God. I was not. And yet somehow, in, in some, and this just still, it, it, oh, I don't know, it makes my brain mushy because I don't understand it. In some way, in God's divine plan and omnipotence, he saw fit to open my eyes to the Torah, to the Sabbath, to the Moedim, to, you know, to his name to his calendar. And in that place, how, how is it that we can then turn to those people we once sat in church with who were genuinely seeking God and judge them? It, it just, that's not evangelism. That's not spreading truth. That's, that's bitterness and hate and other issues in our lives that are manifesting in a way that is not healthy. And so, you know, people, some people stay there. Genuinely, generally, though, people move on and they realize this is not working. I'm, I'm doing more harm than good. So people become quiet for a while. And I think that's a great place to be. My personal mantra, and this is not, you know, scripture, but my personal mantra is don't say anything about the Torah until you studied for 10 years and lived it for 10 years. 10 years, I think, is a good time. Five, if you're really bright and you know how to be diplomatic like you're a master at diplomacy <laughs> other than that keep your mouth shut uh know when to say know when not to say use a lot of wisdom but most people kind of just you know they go quiet and and i think that in this journey the people that i've seen continue to grow throughout the years of of following yeshua uh you know as our our jewish rabbi uh our our savior who who you know was a traditionally practicing Jew and, and, and following him in the way that he taught the Torah. I find that people, as you learn more, you get quieter and quieter. And I think that that's wisdom. And I think that that's maturity. Uh, and, and so when I look at this law of the slave and the master, I've always seen this as like, this is the biblical example of discipleship that we take, Someone who has made bad decisions or someone who, you know, has just life has just beaten up on them. Uh, 
and we take them in, maybe not to your home necessarily, but that's the way it was done here. But you, you take them into your circle. You take them under your wing. You take them into your life. You step into their life, if they're willing, and you teach them the master the, the 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 servant would work with the master day in and day out, eat at his table, you know, work it work in his shop, you know, work in his fields alongside him, whatever. And through those years, not only would his debt be paid, but he would learn how to make better decisions. He would learn wisdom. He would learn skills. He would learn. He would he would regain his identity and his humanity. He would regain some pride in his, in his own life, and, and he would become equipped to, to be a more prosperous and healthy part of the community when the time came for him to be released. And in, in the way I always understood this was, you know, this is a picture of, uh, of I don't know what, but the, when the time came to be released, that he loved his master so much that he... he you know, he just, he wanted to stay. And I thought, wow, what a picture, you know, great picture. And then I read this commentary this year in the Humash, the Art Scroll Humash. And, and it says, it says this, and, and listen to this. I, this was like a, this was, wow, this was just incredible for me. It says that the Torah disdains the bondsman who spurns his freedom and chooses to debase himself by remaining under the patronage of a master and living with his slave companion and children. The ceremony that extends his servitude emphasizes his ear and a door. The sages explain this in the light of the following. A. God says the children of Israel are my servants. Leviticus twenty-five fifty-five. But this bondsman is so degraded that he has chosen to be servant of a servant. And B. Our passage refers to a thief who was sold by the court, as noted above. C, the doorway symbolizes freedom, for it was against their doorposts that the Jews in Egypt placed some of the blood of the Pesach offering, the Passover, just before they were freed. And this caused the angel of death to pass over the Jewish homes. That's in Shemot 12, 22 and 23. Against this background, the sages expound that the ear that heard at Sinai the commandment not to steal and after having stolen and been sold into servitude, spurn the opportunity to go free after six years, should be bored with an all. And the Jew who prefers to be a servant of a human master rather than owe his allegiance entirely to the Holy One, the one master, has rejected the lesson of the doorposts in Egypt. Therefore, the boring is done against a door. Whew. Wow. <laughs> I laugh because I my brain is is smoking. So see this is why it's so important and so beautiful to read the words of the people who have preserved who wrote these texts and who have preserved them for us and and for humanity. This while in my understanding it was always a wonderful that the point the almost the point of this servitude was it, we can read the Torah in a certain way that the point of the servitude is for the servant to decide to stay with the master because for us I guess somehow that's uh 
we can relate it. And I did. We related to Yeshua, right? Like he, he rescued me and, you know, I could go off and do my own thing now that I'm saved, but I want to be bound to him. And yet the, the sages illuminate this passage in light of Pesach and, and in light of the commandment in Vayikra 25 that we are slaves to one and that is to Hashem. In the article we read by Rabbi Gurkov, we, we, he mentioned that, that if someone would not subjugate themselves to, to Hashem as the, the supreme one, then he would be subjugated to mortal masters, to human masters, right? And so this is kind of riffing on the same idea that in reverse, it is a disdain of the Torah, the commentary says. The Torah disdains someone who would rather keep themselves under the the uh, the submit under the authority of a human master rather than be free to be under the authority of the supreme master of the universe and i just think that's incredibly heavy <laughs> i'll be honest with you i i used to love this parsha because of the way that i understood it and this year i got my teeth kicked in it, it hurt my feelings when I read that commentary and went, wow, I have thought about this, this part of it all wrong. Like I, the outcome was not what I suspected. And I love, I love that. I love that. Yeah. My feelings were hurt and I was kind of soggy for a little while, but wow, that's beautiful. So this idea that, yeah, I do believe that, that the, the servant while with the, the master was supposed to learn and supposed to grow in wisdom and skill and and again regain dignity and and it was supposed to be a a teachable thing you know you 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 hook a young ox to an older ox or a young bull or you know or a, a young horse to an older horse when you're breaking a horse you hook a younger one to an older one and that that way that younger horse starts to understand the rhythms and the commands and the you know understands what he's supposed what's expected of him and so in, in, a, in, a way I, in, in many ways, I still see this, this mitzvah this way. And yet, what is discipleship? Except whenever you're ready to go out and prove what you've learned and to live what you've learned and to make more disciples, right? This, this process of evangelism and discipleship making is not new to evangelicals. It is a very old biblical standby that within the Jewish community, you raise up and teach the younger people, so, not so that they can be subject to a rabbi. You know, one of the things that I, trips me out so much is when, when I wear tzitzit, right? I wear it on a four-car garment, a talit katan, and I always wear a head covering. And I, not so much anymore because I've explained this over and over to people who know me, but when I first started doing it like that, because I used to do it on my belt loops, you know, it's what, it's what we do. And, and I, when I started wearing a head, people started going, well, like, well, what rabbi are you under now? You know, and you're under, you're putting yourself under the authority of the rabbis. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Where do you get that from? That I don't understand what, so I asked a couple of Jewish friends like, Hey, um, are you guys like, are you under any rabbinic? Cause I'm hearing this from my Gentile friends. Like that when you wear a kippah, you're under some rabbi's authority. Like whose authority are y'all under? And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that's, 
that's not a thing. That like that's that's a thing in your world. That's not a thing in our world. Like there's no rabbi over us. They have rabbis that they love and respect. They grew up with, etc. Whatever, blah blah blah. Just like we have pastors, right? Yeah. So th- this whole thing, and and so we have this idea, you know, that we're not we're not made disciples to be under someone for all of our lives, in the sense of, you know, we we even Yeshua, and this is the like to me, this is the the even more beautiful end result than the way I looked at it before. This idea that that Yeshua disciples us not so that we can just stay in our in our he and I relationship. His discipling of me and mentoring of me and 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 teaching me by the Spirit is not so that I can keep that relationship closed, but it's so that I can then go out and live that relationship and teach my children. And and I can I can love my wife and partner with my wife because Yeshua is is leading both of us and we're modeling after him and we can raise our children and teach our children. Then we can we can help our friends and we can walk together with our friends and we can multiply image bearing. We can multiply this. You know, that's why I love this idea of, of, you know, image bearers radio. Obviously, that's the name of the show, but this idea that we can multiply image bearing. So when we get to the Haftarah, and, and Hashem is so livid with the people of Israel because they were keeping these servants, and then they made a covenant and said, we won't, and then they came back and said, oh, no, yeah, we will. He was livid. Why? Because they, they closed the tap on spreading that beautiful institution of image bearing and, and releasing people out to be their own divine sparks in the world so they could therefore go and ignite other divine sparks and so that the image and the glory of God could grow in and throughout the earth. So, again, this Parsha is super important for me for that reason. Next week, we will talk about Truma and the building of the Mishkan. Man, I nerd out. Just letting you know. All right, have a great week. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.